Smartcast. With the Baker's Plus Card, it's easy to get lower than low prices for the win. Earn fuel points on every purchase and save up to a dollar a gallon at the pump. The Baker's Plus Card. All you do is win. Big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your favorites with the buy five or more, save a dollar each sale. Simply buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with your card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show featuring Jason Zuck. Jason has been an intuitive psychic medium since 2004. This show will cover a variety of topics relating to spirituality, mediumship, self-improvement, and intuitive guidance. Whatever interests you, remember that we are all here to share and learn. Sit back and get ready to socialize with the social psychic. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's with great pleasure that I have an opportunity to introduce uh, Dr. Carlo Mali this afternoon, who's director of the Arizona Cancer and Evolution Center. Dr. Mali received his PhD from MIT in computer science, computational biology in 1998, working with Rodney Brooks and Michael Donahue at Harvard at the time. He had his MSc in zoology, evolutionary theory from the University of Oxford in 1993 with W.D. Hamilton and his B.A. in computer science and psychology from Oberlin College in 1991. He went on to hold faculty positions at Wistar Institute and the University of California, San Francisco, before joining Arizona State University in 2015. He's a renowned cancer biologist, an evolutionary biologist, and a computational biologist. Our guest will discuss the findings from his recent, from his TEDx talk, which was from May 26, 2016, entitled, How Nature Has Already Beat Cancer. I look forward to presenting Dr. Malley to our audience, where he can describe his research, including 12 examples of animals who have beat cancer through evolution, including such animals as the elephant, the rhinoceros, giraffe, water buffalo, Indian bison, polar bear, and others. It's with great pleasure that I welcome Dr. Malley to the show. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you today? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for joining us, and I appreciate you taking the time for this interview. I wanted to ask you, in terms of your work right now at the Arizona Cancer and Evolution Center, if you can share with our audience the type of work that you're currently doing in terms of addressing um, cancer research itself and what you are finding at this point in time? Sure. Um, that center specifically is more of a basic science center, so we're trying to understand the, the fundamental science of cancer. And one of the main ways we're doing that is by what we call comparative oncology. That's comparing across species how cancer shows up to understand cancer at a deeper level, um, but also to figure out how nature has solved the problem of preventing cancer. Okay. And you're also at the Biodesign Institute, is that right? That's right. Can you tell us a little about your work at the Biodesign Institute? Sure. So the Biodesign Institute is uh, devoted to interdisciplinary research, uh, largely with the, with the framing of learning from nature how to solve problems that are, are common to, to humans. So that's not just medicine, but also sustainability and, and security as well as our three major focus, focuses of the institute. There are 16 different centers within the institute, and um, so there's lots of different stuff happening there. But our work specifically, 
we focus on three aspects. I'm essentially interested in all the ways in which evolution applies to cancer. And that, for me, breaks down into three categories. One is how we get cancer, so what happens to the cells in our bodies as they change from normal to malignant. And it turns out that's a process of evolution down to the cell level. The cells are evolving by mutations and natural selection, and those mutant cells that are better at dividing and better at surviving tend to spread in our, in our bodies and eventually, if we're unlucky, generate a cancer. So we're also we're measuring that, studying it, and also figuring out how to prevent it, slowing it down or deflecting that process. So that's one area. The another area is once you get a full-blown cancer, how do you manage it? And we're studying the what's called therapeutic resistance. So when you it's like when you spray a field with pesticide and you select, you end up killing most of the pests, but you select for mutant pests that are resistant to your pesticide. The same thing happens in a tumor. You kill most of the cells with a chemotherapy, but there's so many cells in there with so many different mutations that just by bad luck, there's often some cells that have a mutant mutation that makes them uh, unaffected by your 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 medicine, your your toxin. Um, and so we're working on ways of either preventing that or more likely managing it when it happens so that the tumor will, won't kill people. And so that's the area that we're, con we're actually building up a lot now and excited about. And then the third area th is actually about what I mentioned before about studying cancer across species. So not mutations and evolution happening down at the cell level, but uh, differences in species and their cancer vulnerabilities and, and resistances and what makes one species more resistant to cancer than others, and can we learn from that to do better cancer prevention in humans? And looking, I know that you've looked across nature and part of your research and other animals, larger animals like the elephant, for example, and um, I wanted to see if you could share with our audience what you found that elephants, how they are resistant to cancer through evolution, and how that could sure. potentially help us understanding it better with our own, you know, risks of cancer in the human race. Sure. So this is um, this derives from an old problem called Peto's paradox, and it's a Sir Richard Peto is an epidemiologist in England, and he pointed out back in the 70s that a mouse has a thousand times fewer cells than a human and only lives two years, and so if they had the same biology as a human, they would never get cancer. It's just too unlikely. But the interesting ways or interesting perspective on this is not to look at smaller short-lived organisms but larger organisms than us so an elephant has a hundred times more cells than a human lives about as long as we do and so if they had the same biology as a human they could be getting a ton of cancer but actually they have evolved through natural selection to a bunch of cancer defenses um, that suppresses cancer so the question was what are those defenses and then can we translate that to humans and what we discovered is that whereas a human has two copies of a tumor suppressor gene called p53 Elephants have 40 copies of that gene, um, and that's the most important tumor suppressor gene we know of. It's called the guardian of the genome, and it does a ton of things. There's, there's so much research on this one gene that you, a human cannot physically read all of the papers written on it. Um, but one of the main things it does is it responds to stresses like break, breaks in the DNA, and if there's too many breaks in the DNA, it triggers cell suicide called apoptosis. Um, and if there's only a little bit of breaks in the DNA, it stops the cell cycle, halts it so that the, the cell can try to repair those breaks before it goes on. And the problem with repairing breaks is that you can, the cell can make a mistake and get a mutation, and those mutations can disrupt other tumor suppressor genes and uh, turn on what we call oncogenes and essentially lead to, the, lead to cancer. So cancer is a, a disease of accumulating mutations in the wrong genes in, your, in our cells. So elephants have a bunch of extra copies of this gene, and their cells are super sensitive to DNA damage. So you just damage them a little bit. With If you take a blood sample from an elephant, which our collaborators do, which is normally drawn from them to monitor their health every week um, at the zoos, we can take a little bit of the blood, shine some x-rays on it, and show that the, 
the elephant cells will kill themselves with just a small amount of, of X-ray writ damage or chemical damage. So they don't take the risk of, of any mutations. If they get the slightest problem, they just kill off that cell and replace it with a healthy cell. That's interesting. How could, can we adopt what we've acquired from your research with larger animals, larger mammals, I guess, would be part of it. But can we, how will that revolutionize the way that we combat cancer in the future? Well, our collaborator, our main collaborator in this project is Josh Schiffman at, at University of Utah, and he's looked into he's looking into a couple things. Um, one, they're looking at if they can deliver this form of this elephant gene to human cells as a kind of therapy, a cancer therapy that if the cancer cells got this gene or this protein in them, um, it would should help the, in fact, some evidence it does help the cancer cells commit suicide and uh, can be used directly as a cancer therapy. More, uh, more similar, I guess, to the elephant would be to try to use it to prevent cancer. So you can imagine trying to develop a drug that would simulate this this behavior and clear our bodies of cells that are getting damaged and hopefully to replacing them with um, uh, healthy cells. That's, that's a ways away to get that to work. Um, but it, what it, it does say that nature is pointing us in the direction of protecting our bodies by clearing out um, damaged cells or cells that are getting damaged. However we do that, it might not be exactly the way the elephants do it, but nature is saying that this is a, an effective way of preventing cancer. Have you found from looking at other animals that you've evaluated that it's very similar in their makeup to the elephant? and the way that the elephant has been able to suppress cancer. For example, polar bears, I think, is one of the other animals that you've researched. Whales. So um, the main one we're working on right now is the humpback whale. Um, so we haven't published this yet. So we're, we sequenced their genome. We've been analyzing their genome. Um, and they haven't done the same thing that elephants have. They don't have these 40 copies of, of P53. But we are uh, finding evidence that they have similarly um, tweaked their DNA damage response um, genes. So we think that, that this might be a fairly general strategy to be sensitive to DNA damage and to um, kill off cells when the, that DNA is damaged. Um, but that's, uh, we haven't yet, um, that work is not fully mature yet. It's still an open question if there's a lot of different strategies because large body size has evolved independently many times. So there's quite possibly many different strategies for for preventing cancer, and we're excited to discover those. But um, we haven't. We're, it's still early days for us. I see. And what made you uh, get involved in this particular area of research for yourself and your careers? Well, um, I was trained in actually I was trained in computer science initially, um, but became fascinated with evolution as an algorithm for solving problems. Um, and the more I worked on that, the more interested I got in the evolution of diseases. Um, and I wanted to – evolution is, is striking to me as this dynamic process that, that has created all the different diversity we see on Earth, all the different complexity we see on Earth. So it's a really powerful process. And I wanted to work on that, in particular in the cases where the diseases that we're suffering from are evolving and so are hard to cure. So a lot of infectious diseases in general evolve. And we see this with antibiotic resistance and anti-malarial drug res resistance and things like that. And so I was trying to figure out what disease to work on and stumbled across the description of cancer as an evolving disease. And so my background, my training was in evolution. And in, I, I should have said, after I did computer science, I did some uh, training in evolutionary theory. Um, but it was discovering that cancer is an evolving disease, and very few people were actually using evolutionary biology and ecology to study it uh, 
it became clear that that was a, a place where I could really make a contribution. And what's exciting to me about it is that because evolution is the theory of cancer, you can learn, you can make important contributions both to the basic science of cancer, but also to the clinical management of it, and so have real impact. Impact, and that's what I really care about is trying to 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 push the needle to actually reduce human suffering from cancer and, and have a real impact clinically. Absolutely. You mentioned earlier during the interview the P53 gene that elephants have. Is that also mm -hmm. similar in other larger mammals that you've researched? Do they have um, the P53 gene as well that works in suppressing yeah. cancer for themselves? Well, all all animals have this gene, um, virtually all animals. I think you have to go back past uh, flatworms before you start having trouble finding this gene. Um, so it's it's been there since since the beginning of multicellular life, essentially. Um, how it's behaving in these different animals is unclear, but uh, probably is having very similar function in terms of protecting cells and protecting the genomes of, the, of those cells. And specifically how, how it's getting tweaked to do better or worse cancer prevention uh, is an open, open area of our, of our research. I see. I know that you have been utilizing your theories on this, um, is it a mixture of a evolutionary ecological theory when you look at tackling cancer's uh, adaptability? Yes, it is. In fact, I actually don't draw much of a distinction between those two fields. I think they're intimately tied together. The way I think of it is the ecology of an organism sets the different, uh, we would call selective pressures, the problems that it's facing. And so it, it evolves to address those problems. Um, so, yeah, we use ideas and theories and models um, and statistical approaches from both evolution and ecology to try to study and also uh, manage cancers. What's uh, neoplastic progression? Oh, yeah, that's the fancy term for getting cancer. So progression from normal tissue to cancerous tissue. Okay. And then I think one of the things I wanted to ask you about is the acquired therapeutic resistance. Mm -hmm. Can you yeah, talk to so us about that a little bit? Sure. That's the scientific jargon for this process that you see, like with pests and pesticide, that when you spray a field with pesticide, you select for, as I would say it, but you kill off the, you select for the resistant pests, you kill off the sensitive pests. So acquired therapeutic resistance is uh, cells in the tumor that are resistant to your drug. They can't, they're not affected by your drug. And most of the tumor looks like it's initially responding to the drug, so it's sensitive, but when it comes back, it has acquired this resistance. And that's because some of those cells initially already had these mutations, and they're the ones who survived, and then they generated the tumor that, that grows back. And so then all of those cells are resistant. I was going to say the contrast is some tumors, when you apply a drug, they don't respond at all. So they, they already have the full-blown resistance, so it's not acquired. It's there from, from the beginning. In terms of, of what you're looking at from your research, where do you see the next five years of cancer treatment going in medicine? Or how long do you think – I guess I should rephrase my question would be, how long do you think before medicine catches up with what your research has been finding? Oh, um, yeah, actually, I'm really excited about this. So it turns out that the farmers are way ahead of the oncologists. So farmers dealing with this pesticide resistance in the field learned decades ago that they can't just spray their fields with high-dose pesticides. Uh, one, it pollutes the environment really badly, but two, it just doesn't work. You select resistant pests. And even if you combine drugs, which is the standard of care now in most cancers, if you give a drug cocktail, 
if you do that with pesticides, it, you still you select for pests that are resistant to all of those pesticides. Um, so what they learned was rather than going for a keyword, rather than trying to kill off all the pests in the field, they assume there are resistant pests out there. And then the strategy shift to how do you manage those pests so that they, they don't overgrow your field so you can keep them under control. Um, and this, and I can tell you about how that works, but this is in general called integrated pest management. And Bob Gatenby at the Moffitt Cancer Center realized that these ideas, ideas could be translated to cancer and managing tumors and preventing resistant acquired therapeutic resistance from getting out of control. Um, and that, that strategy is called adaptive therapy. And we're really excited about that because both in the mouse experiments and now in the first clinical trial, it does way better than the standard of care. Um, and looks like it may even be able to keep people alive indefinitely living with a cancer but not dying from it. Um, so the first clinical trial was a small trial in, in metastatic prostate cancer. And we're about to open up a, a small clinical trial, pilot trial in breast cancer at the Mayo Clinic here in Arizona. Um, but the, to get to your timeline question, what's a, one thing that's really exciting to me about this is that all we have to do is the clinical trial to show that this is better than the standard of care, and then oncology can change because we're not introducing a new drug. We're not need, we don't need FDA approval of a new drug. It's typically 20 years between discovery and impact in most of cancer biology. But here it just would be a matter of a few years, it's probably going to take three or four years of a trial to, to get the results, and then um, doctors are free to change overnight after those results come out. Sounds like we're on the edge of a big breakthrough <laughs> based on what you're sharing uh, in this that's, episode. I'm hoping so, and the, all the indications are looking good so far, um, but it's but a, the proof is going to have to be in the pudding of those clinical trials, so we'll, we'll see. But um, the theory says, there's good theory behind it, and it's not just some crazy idea. The there's good theory for to think why it should work. It's been working in the, in the preclinical trials in the lab. It's worked in this one pilot trial um, at Moffitt, and they've they've opened they're opening or have opened trials in thyroid cancer, melanoma, and I believe ovarian cancer is opening soon, if not already opened. Um, so we just we I just want to set up a system where we can we can rapidly open and generate these clinical trials, and and, uh, and my ambition is to change all of oncology. That sounds extremely exciting. I, I noted uh, one of your prior talks on TED, in your TED Talk. You talked about aspirin being used yeah. to uh, in your part of your studies. Can you talk about that with our audience a little bit, what you found? Sure. So as, aspirin is part of a category of drugs called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And just you can just think of them as anti-inflammatory drugs. They, they reduce inflammation. Um, and inflammation, it's a double-edged sword in the cancer field. So um, your immune system sometimes does detect cancerous cells or precancerous cells as abnormal because they've got these mutations and, and clears them. So it looks like your immune system can protect you from cancer. But also chronic inflammation is, is causes cancer because chronic inflammation generates a lot of reactive oxygen species. A lot of, a lot of inflammation is mutagenic and cause mutations. And it also um, ends up killing cells and they have to be replaced. And there's an ongoing wound healing that happens in chronic inflammation. And all, lots of cells being, by, being born and dying and turning over also tends to increase your chances of picking up those mutations that will cause cancer. So one observation has been across many cancers that anti-inflammatory drugs in general seem to reduce the chance of getting cancer. So the, And aspirin in particular seems to be one of the strongest of those drugs. Um, so there's good evidence that in many cancers, aspirin actually reduces your chance of getting cancer. We're not talking about a therapy once you get the cancer, but we're talking about preventing the cancer in the first place. 
So we study Barrett's esophagus. Barrett's esophagus is this precancerous in the esophagus, and it seems to aspirin seems to be a particularly strong protective factor uh, or drug for that condition. So we've been trying to figure out how is it being protective, how is it impacting this evolutionary process, um, and then if we can figure that out, can we make a, a better aspirin, a super aspirin that's even better at pre- preventing cancer? Do you have any recommendations or suggestions based on your research? If somebody's listening to this episode and they're nervous in the future about getting cancer based on family genealogy or family background, um, are there any suggestions that you'd make, maybe three things that someone can do to lower their rate of cancer just based on what you've found from your research? Um, So this is pretty clear, and it's mostly not my research, um, and it's not going to come to surprise the people listening. It's eating lots of fruits and vegetables and exercise. Okay. Oh, and don't smoke. Don't smoke. Okay. Those are the big. Okay. Those are the big ones. Um, so there's there's some evidence that, uh, as I said, aspirin is is good, um, but there are trade-offs, and so you know it can cause a stomach ulcer and and bleeding. It's a it's a blood thinner. So if you're um, if you're susceptible to aneurysms or um, which which could be a really bad way of going as well, you have to be careful about it. So you should consult with your doctor about that kind of thing. I am not an MD, so I'm not qualified to sure. to give real medical advice. But but I'm comfortable. The re- research is pretty clear on the on the obvious health benefits of uh, eating lots of fruits and vegetables and uh, exercise. And so that's going to help not just cancer, but your heart heart disease and other things as well. Great great recommendation. I, I want to thank you for, for your work and just sharing this information with my audience. Um, I think it, it's sure. phenomenal that you're doing these breakthroughs and utilizing something like evolution as a basis and computational uh, biology to forward these ideas. I think this is going to be some major breakthroughs for us. I'm excited it's going to happen likely in a not too distant future. <laughs> um, oh, thanks. It's a real, real pleasure. And I should say that I'm really grateful to all of you and your listeners. It's, it's your tax dollars that supports all of this research. And we wouldn't be able to do this work without all of your support. Um, and, you know, I'm really grateful to how that plays out that in, in Congress, it's a pretty much a bipartisan support for cancer research or medical research in general, both sides of the aisle. Um, and I'm, I'm just deeply grateful that we can work on this um, for all of our, our better health. Great. If anyone in my audience would like to reach out to you or learn more about your efforts, where would they go? Well, so our new center, uh, the website for that is cancer-insights.asu.edu. So cancerinsights.asu.edu. If you just look up Cancer Evolution and the ASU on Google, you'll find it pretty easily. Um, that's our, our main webpage now for this. Um, and it's part of a larger National Cancer Institute effort called the Cancer Systems Biology Consortium. Okay. I, I'm so grateful that you, you were able to come on this after, you know, today. Thank you for appearing on our show. And, and please uh, keep us in mind once you do find any big breakthroughs further than where you've gotten to date. Because I, I, okay. I know that our audience will really enjoy hearing more about your efforts and what you're accomplishing and how meaningful this can this change our lives in such significant ways. Thanks. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. I just want to thank Dr. Malley for coming on to our show. I, um, 
recently got diagnosed with stage one cancer and had a procedure to, it was for kidney cancer, had a procedure that hopefully got rid of it. Having a situation like that happen in one's life uh, makes you reevaluate things, take stock of things. Part of what I want to do with this podcast is find more people like Dr. O'Malley, who's phenomenal with his research and his ideals that he, his ideas that he's presenting. I look forward to showcasing these things because it's such an important topic, not just cancer, but other conditions as well that people get plagued by. There's a lot out there, and we're on the cutting edge of therapies, modalities, healing these kind of conditions. I'm very excited that of, of the just the multitude of approaches that are occurring out there. Someone like Dr. Malley is really a trailblazer. And to be able to utilize his background and experience to create opportunities for te- potentially uh, save lives. I think that's one of the most meaningful endeavors that anyone could dedicate their talents and life to, purpose in life. It's amazing to think that Dr. Malley has been researching 12 examples of animals in nature who have beat cancer through evolution and hopefully utilizing that research to gain a greater understanding of our own bodies and our own genetic makeup. Something like a P53 gene might be able to be manipulated to our advantage and potentially reduce the impact that cancer has in our society as a killer and as a disruptor in our lives. I want to thank everyone for supporting our show. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any feedback or input regarding this episode, feel free to contact me. You can reach me directly, info at the letter D, socialpsychicradio.com, as well as through social media. Feel free to follow us on our social media, such as Facebook and Instagram. And we'll be working more on a YouTube channel as we go forward. Thank you for tuning in today to this special episode. And I deeply want to thank Dr. Malley for appearing on the show and the Arizona Cancer and Evolution Center and the Biodesign Institute for their efforts of what they're doing and the uh, success that they are having with Dr. Malley as what they've accomplished to date. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook, and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum. Restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more, save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. 
Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.